Currency. Welcome. I'm your host. My name is Mike Gaston, and this is episode number 109, 109 of the Currency Podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, December 12th, 2021, and uh, grateful to be here behind the mic as always. Now, I want to follow up. The last episode was talking about natural human rights and so on. I want to follow up. I got kind of hung up by the idiom, the phrase, by the same token. I was making one point and I was going to make kind of a, an opposite point. I started to say, well, by the same token, and I kind of stopped. If you, if you heard that episode, you probably remember me kind of going on a little bit about by the same token, uh, as opposed to by the other hand, or I was kind of confused, like it just was an odd idiom. I was talking to my buddy, Dave Danglis. We were kind of joking about it. We looked it up. Dave looked it up and I've got the definition here in front of me. And I want to follow up to this uh, discussion from the last time because you deserve to know. <laughs> Maybe uh, being the smart audience that you are, you know more about this than I do. But I I was confused because essentially I was making a point and I think I was going to make an opposing point. And I started to say by the same token and I was going to make my opposing point. And I was confused because I thought, well, if this is an opposing idea, why would it be the same token? Why wouldn't it be another token? Anyway, it just didn't seem logical to me. Well, come to find out, yours truly is kind of using the idiom or um, the saying a little bit incorrectly. So by the same token, and this is according to the Cambridge Dictionary, it's Cambridge University in, in merry old England. I guess they invented the English language. I don't know. Uh, it's used to mean that something you are about to say is also true for the same reasons as what has just been said. So by that same token is used to mean that something you are about to say is also true for the same reasons as what has just been said. So here's an example. I don't think that prices will go up, but by the same token, I don't see them going down either. So clearly there's this underlying concept of, of some type of economic thing happening. And this person's observing saying, I don't think prices are going to go up, but by the same token, whatever that economic driver that's that that thing that's in the background that's informing this statement he's saying also i don't see them going down either so there you go by the same token it it it's uh something you're about to say that's true for the same reasons as what has just been said there you have it so by the same token so i'll try i will endeavor dear listener to do a better job with my application of idioms, but you know, no promises here. Uh, I am a highly trained and highly paid expert here behind the microphone, <laughs> but uh, but no promises. I'm sure I'll continue to make mistakes and abuse the English language uh, more, more than it deserves to be abused. They say English is one of the hardest languages to learn. I, I wouldn't know I'm a native speaker. Uh, I love the English language, but boy, is it a hodgepodge. And I, and I would imagine a lot of languages are, but there's just so much, there's so many different languages informing English, which I, which these days I would imagine is more the case than it used to be. And then on top of that, there are a lot of rules that come from different languages. So the rules aren't always logical. And there are so many exceptions to every rule, because as you're importing words, vocabulary, even structures from other languages, well, those might con- conflict with existing word structures and so on. It's kind of an interesting thing. So by the same token, I'm always fascinated by the history of an idiom or even the etymology of a word. And that's one of the reasons I've loved when I was a younger guy 
And if I had the time, I'd enjoy it now too. Bible study. I loved Bible study because I love getting into, especially like New Testament. I was more into Greek than I was Hebrew. But uh, for those that don't know, the, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, most of the New Testament written in Greek or a form of Greek that that uh, isn't really around that much anymore. But I loved kind of getting into word meetings, getting into the lexicons, trying to understand like the history of words, because I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the history of ideas, intellectual history. And, and, and that's even part of the reason I named this podcast, The Currency, not because of intellectual history, but this idea that thoughts, concepts, ideas uh, have value, their, their wealth, they have currency, they have power. Uh, and when I say currency, I don't mean electric currency, but I mean the ability to move them around, uh, impacts things, changes history, shapes societies, and so on. And we're all sitting here living under ideas. I mean, the, the, I, I used to think when I was a young guy, and I think a lot of folks still think this, that you know, we were that we've cut ourselves free of the past. We've we've eradicated a lot of the dark, superstitious thinking. You know, these ideas that these old Dodgers back in the you know, back in the 1500s or something came up with, those don't have anything to do with us, you know, these, that we're free of all these things because we're moderns and we have science and we have modernity and we have all this technology with the ability to communicate and to think on levels that they just couldn't. And so, you know, we're living this this enlightened uh, life and we're, we're living this life that has been, um, we've been released from the burdens and the the bondages of history. And funny enough, you know, you, you hear that and you might think I was an atheist or something, or I was some type of um, hardcore materialist when I was a young fellow. But quite frankly, I had grown up Roman Catholic and we left the Catholic Church and became Protestant, uh, charismatic, uh, evangelical Christians, Protestants. And there was this kind of vibe in some of the churches, not all of them, but a lot of them that... You know, when you're Protestant, you're actually being released from a lot of that old dead tradition, that old religiosity that Jesus railed against, you know, when he attacked the Pharisees because they were they were just uh, whitewashed sepulchers full of empty religious tradition, but they didn't know God and they didn't love God. And, and, and I think that second half might be true. They maybe didn't know God. It doesn't seem like they knew God. It didn't seem like they loved him, especially when Jesus, you know, accused them that, that the devil was their father. You know, they said, oh, God is our father, Abraham. Abraham is our father. Look at our lineage. We're the faithful ones. And Jesus is like, yeah, the devil is your father. So, I mean, there is some truth to this concept, but, but, but I think wrongly, uh, they kind of impressed upon us quite directly, explicitly that, oh, all that old, you know, that Catholicism and that old traditional stuff and all, it's all dead religion. You want to avoid that. You want to avoid that. You want to have a relationship with Christ. I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, but you want to avoid, you know, any type of tradition. You want to avoid any type of like rote, you know, genuflect, kneel, stand up, you know, read this prayer, sing this song. You don't want any of that kind of stuff. You want everything to be led by God's spirit, everything flowing and natural and um, and uh, just kind of bubbling up, you know, unexpected, unstructured. And so I think, you know, for me, growing up in a in a post enlightenment world, meaning a world that's just enthralled by technology in general, uh, that's enthralled with materialism, the power of science to overcome things, to make the world a better place, enthralled with the concept of free market economics, where we can just fuel this 
never-ending growth, that the world can become better through economic activity, uh, that we've cut ourselves off from the past, also living in a culture that lionized worship, democracy. Hey, we got out from under the king, you know, America, we had that... We had that revolutionary war. We sent those red coats a packing. We don't need some king taxing us without representing us. We don't need some king telling us what to do. It's the people that decide. The people's power, the people, democracy, that's where it's better. Democracy, free market capitalism, and uh, an uninterrupted economic prosperity. I mean, those are kinds of the things that the holy, the, the, the secular trinity, I would say, not the holy trinity, the, the trinity of secularism. And uh, so growing up in that milieu and then, of course, leaving the tradition of the Catholic Church, and, and I'm not ungrateful that we left the Catholic Church, and those of my listeners that are Catholic, a lot of respect. I'm not one of these Protestants that's like, ah, the Catholic Church is terrible. I was grateful for what the Catholic Church imparted to me. I feel like there was a sense of reverence for God. There was a desire to be... Uh, holy, meaning set apart. There was a desire to please God and so on. Those are good things. I, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, there's a lot that comes packaged with the Catholic Church uh, that I find really, really difficult. I mean, there's just there's just some modern issues. I mean, this Pope, uh, well, don't even get me started on this guy, uh, you know, but but there's some other issues, and I'm not going to get into that, but the scholastics and so on, some of the ways that the Catholic Church will try to, you know, balance the enlightenment and scientific thinking with scriptural theology and, and truth, and some of the ways they construct their doctrines a bit of a bridge too far for me. That said, uh, there's a lot good that I received from the Catholic Church, and we don't have to get into all the other scandals and all that kind of stuff. But I think coming up in that trinity of the modern world and then the secular world, this, uh, and then adding to that, leaving the, the tradition of the Catholic Church and coming into this kind of traditionless Protestant experience, uh, you know, one can kind of see how a young guy like myself would, would just be kind of taken with the concept of being free from the past. Now, the interesting thing about this is we're not free from the past. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is the funny thing. You see this trend going on right now. You know, we're going we're gonna to rewrite history. There are things about history we don't like. They trigger us. They anger us. They were immoral things, bad things, you know, relatively speaking. I mean, some people are saying some things are immoral. They just are. I mean, but, but we're looking back at history through a lens and we don't like what we see. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to eradicate it. We're going to rewrite it. We're going to bury it. We're going to make it illegal. <laughs> we're just going to make it go away, supposedly. And there's this weird, it's almost like a child. I, I see modern society, especially in the U.S., but I see modern society postmodern society should probably say acting like a child in its room, its bedroom in the, in, in the room is dark. The kids in the room, it's dark and the kids scared. It's the kid is scared of monsters, either monsters under the bed, monsters in the closet, you know, they're monsters. And so what the kid does is that the kid pulls the covers over her head and somehow pulling the covers over this little kid's head makes the monsters go away, makes her safe. 
And, and I think, I feel like that's kind of what's going on in the world today. You've, you've got adults. I mean, yeah, I mean, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, people insisting that we rewrite this stuff because it's hurtful to them. It, it, it creates pain. They hate it. It's upsetting to them. They don't like it. We got to rewrite history. We got to bury it. We have to cover ourselves from what happened in the past to protect ourselves from it. And if we somehow, you know, can't see this history anymore, if we eradicate it from our books and we rip the statues down, if we can't see this thing, then it can't hurt us. I mean, you know, when you kind of look at it as analogous to the child pulling the, sh the blankets over her head in a dark room, thinking that that makes her safe, you realize how foolish this this mission is of, of the postmoderns. But, you know, history, we are not free from it. You know, pulling the blankets over our heads, rewriting history, ripping down the statues don't set us free. And it's not just that it doesn't set us free of some of the bad things that have happened or that we're going to be forced to repeat. Oh, if you don't, you know, respect history, you'll be forced to repeat it. And I, I love that. I mean, I think that's 100% true. I don't love that it's true, but I mean, I love that saying because it is 100% true. It's like anything in life. If you don't learn your lessons, you are forced to repeat them. I mean, you know, just keep, keep racking up that credit card debt and, you know, and then bounce from job to job and then figure out, you know, why you don't have two sticks to rub together. Well, you keep doing the same darn things, dummy. Knock it off. <laughs> it's, it's obvious stuff. But I think the, the real farce here isn't so much that you'll be doomed to repeat it. You know, if you, if you don't respect and regard and know your history, you'll be doomed to repeat it. Totally true. But I think the bigger issue here has more to do with not understanding the ideas that are influencing and guiding and channeling our lives down a pathway. And we like this idea of being independent. I'm an independent individual. I'm a strong, independent man. I'm a strong, independent woman. I can choose my own destiny. Heck, I can even choose my own sex these days. We're so full of strength and power and agency. I'm, I can do it. I'm strong. I, I, I listen to these people. Sometimes they're the most broken, saddest, weakest people. And I don't mean this in a nasty way. I'm just saying sometimes I look at the people making these claims. They're out there saying... I'm strong. I'm, I'm, you know, we're women are strong. Oh, we're strong. They're, it's like they're self-talking themselves up. They're trying to, it's like, they're trying to convince themselves. It's like, I'm not strong. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm terrified. I'm weak, <laughs> but I'm going to say I'm strong. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I can do it. Uh, who is that character? Is that character from Saturday night live? Um, you know, something about, I don't remember how it went, but like, you know, people like me, uh, <laughs> I forget something smally. He'd talk himself up in front of the mirror all the time. Uh, you know, I'm popular. People like me. I can, I don't remember the whole shtick. It's kind of funny, but there's a pathos in there. There's a sad, there's a sadness in there when you watch people having to tell you how strong they are. Now this isn't two boxers in a ring trying to psych each other out. These are people trying to actually psych themselves up when they say how strong they are. But, but we're, we're influenced by ideas that go way back. And we're talking about how much agency we have and how much strength we have and how independent we are. 
but we are not. It's it's stunning to me the degree, and I don't mean people out there and yours truly. Well, I'm the <laughs> I'm sitting atop of all this, looking down on you, on you peons, because I've figured it all out. No, I mean all of us. I'm just I'm stunned by how much all of us are influenced by the past. When you start getting into intellectual history, and when you hear the phrase intellectual history, I first heard that I was like, whoa, intellectual history. That sounds pretty heady. <laughs> you know, you're the intellectual. Oh, he's an intellectual. Intellectual history is strictly, it's just the history of ideas. Meaning, where do ideas come from? How do they spread? How do they influence the society? How do they morph? How do they converge and kind of synthesize into new ideas? So for instance, you can take uh, the Enlightenment and then you can look and say, well, the Germans had kind of a, an, uh, a reaction to the Enlightenment against the Enlightenment. So then there was this kind of the school of German philosophy that was like, you know, reactionary to the Enlightenment against it. Immanuel Kant kind of started this out. But then you get a guy like Hegel, one of these German philosophers that comes up with the idea of the dialectic. And then that gets picked up by Marx, who then incorporates the dialectic into his Marxist uh, ideology, which then, of course, becomes communism, which is this economic thing, which, you know, caused upheaval in, in huge countries like China and Russia, led to the deaths of hundreds of millions of human beings and wars all over the world. I'm not, look, it's not the only political system that has led to lots of death, I, but I'm just saying, if you look at the history, and now is on, uh, is on our shores as cultural Marxism, this idea of critical race theory, critical legal theory, just critical theory in general. Uh, so these are ideas that started like hundreds and hundreds of years ago in reaction to other ideas that were started even before them. And Hegel and Kant and these guys weren't there saying, look, let's come up with some really horrible ideas that just cause hundreds of millions of death and poverty and dehumanization of whole continents. Let's do that. Let's come up with those ideas. No, they were looking at ideas that were bubbling up in their society saying, well, hold on, wait a second here. Something about these ideas are good, but there's some problems with the eyes, these ideas. And, and I'm going to push back and try to help people see things through a different lens. I think Kant was well-meaning. I think when Kant, and, and Kant gets grouped in with the Enlightenment, but really he's kind of the first post-Enlightenment, post-modernist. Kant is like the genesis of post-modernism. A lot of people don't think of him that way, but he he was saying, well, hold on a second. The the Enlightenment's all about you know things being rational, and, and and he was concerned that the Enlightenment was going to show that there was no God, and so he was looking to for ways philosophically to push back and to show that no, there is a God, and and this is where he came up with some of his ideology. Irrationalism was one of them. That that things are irrational, that they're subjective. That when you look at something, you can't. 100% know it because when you look at it through the lens of your mind and who you are and your experiences, well, that colors how you see the things. You can never really know it, which was a kind of attack on the empiricism, meaning we can know everything. You know, science will reveal all to us. That was his way of trying to push back and say, slow down there, Charlie. Yeah, you can kind of understand things, but you can never truly know it. And if you can never truly know it, then you can you can never just say that God doesn't exist. He he probably exists in there, but you just can't see him properly. You know, that I'm by the way, I'm kind of riffing 
if there's any Kantian philosophers out there, please forgive me for, for taking liberties here. I'm not trying to give everybody an exact uh, uh, dis discourse on Kantian philosophy, but the point being Kant was saying, wait, I'm more for things being irrational and a, and a sense of absurdity. God actually loves the absurd. And this is where he brings up things like Abraham sac sacrificing his son Isaac. There's, there's an absurdity to faith. It's not rational, you know, according to Kant. And so this begins the postmodernist line of thought, which is really the, the German philosophers reacting against the Enlightenment. And so uh, these ideas bring us all the way forward now where young children, and, and this is, there's a direct thread here. This isn't like, oh, you're kind of connecting some strange dots, Mike. And we're not going to go through the whole list, but now you sit here in 2021, the end of 2021, by the way, and you've got little white school children being told that they're racist because of their skin color and that they should be ashamed of who they are and that they should be apologizing to people of color, black people, brown people, red people. Why? All this because back in the mid-1700s, Immanuel Kant said, hey, hold on a second. I don't agree 100% with some of the tenets of the Enlightenment. And then you come forward and people build off of each other. And so these philosophers built off of each other until you get to guys like Marcuse and these others. Then you get to the, you get to Adorno and the whole critical theory school, the Frankfurt school. It's, it's a, it's a serious cancer. And yet at the same time, and when I say cancer, it's very destructive to society. It, it ruins lives. Yet at the same time, I don't think anybody like Kant was out there trying to destroy the world. He was trying to push back and say, slow down, kids. I'm not comfortable where you Enlightenment uh, thinkers are taking things. So we're talking about ideas and we're talking about the power of ideas. And we like to think that we are free of our past. We like to think that we are free from history, that we are moderns or postmoderns. And that especially in America, we're individuals. We're decontextualized as, as human beings. We're not part of families anymore. We're not part of race groups. We're not part of it. We're just, we're just individuals, individuals with liberties, individuals with, with authorities and agencies and rights and so on. And we like to think that we are free from these ideas, but the fact of the matter is our lives are so influenced by the ideas that swim around us the ideas that form our societies, the ideas that influence our behaviors, our thoughts, our even aspirations. Talk to somebody 50 years ago. Most young people 50 years ago were not going on about being influencers, social media people. And yeah, you might, the, the, the technology didn't exist fine. They weren't even talking about being entrepreneurs. Nobody talked about a side hustle. Now I know they didn't even use that language. There's no equivalent. People weren't talking in those terms. But yet today people are wound up on this idea of side hustle and material success. They want to be known, meaning they want to be influencers, have a platform, have an audience. Look at me here. I'm sitting behind a microphone talking to you. I've got a YouTube channel. I'm always looking for ways to get information out. I'm looking for ways to grow the audience and to connect with more people. That's, that's a now thing. 
And yet we like to think that we're free from our past and we're not. Now, the thing about ideas, they mold and shape our lives. They form the world around us. They inform our behaviors. They inform our aspirations. And, and, the, and the thing that's kind of tough is we're often just not aware of them. We're not aware of them. I'll give you an example. Uh, I know a lot of you have been able to infer this, I, uh, but I keep it so hidden. I'm a Christian. Okay, whoa, what a, what a revelation. You talk to most American Christians, and they believe that democracy is kind of God's best type of government on the face of the earth. It, because America provides so many freedoms and religious liberty and look at the last 200 years, what an amazing country. And I'm not taking anything away from America. Glad to be here. Glad to have been born here. Uh, so far, so good. But if you say, well, hold on a second. Actually, I believe that mon monarchy is God's chosen form of government, not democracy. Democracy is not God's form of government. It's monarchy. Well, at first, if you say it just like that, and I've done this before, you, you will, they'll look at you like you got three heads. Like, what are you, it's, it's blasphemy, it's almost blasphemy to a lot of folks. Like, what are you talking about? And maybe you listen to this, they're saying, well, hold on, how can you say that? But the funny thing is, if you look at scripture, if you listen to the language, if you look at the language of scripture, you look at how God describes himself in his word, the Bible, it's Lord, it's King, it's master. It's never president. It's never emperor. It's not, it's not anybody that won by military might. It's never anybody that, you know, won by popular vote. He's never the prime minister of the heavens and the earth. He's not the, he's not the president of, you know, of the heavens. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He, he, uh, like he sits upon a uh, podium. Uh, he sits upon a, you know, like he sits upon a throne, like all the language of the scripture is monarchy and all the language of the coming future for Christians is monarchy. His kingdom come our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's all about kingship. Jesus, one of the most popular phrases he said throughout his time on earth that we have recorded of his ministry is about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, same interchangeable. When he died and rose again, he was seated at the right hand of the father, at the throne. It's like this is all this kingdom imagery and language. And the promise of the future is of, a, a, of his kingdom being fully established. No more pain, no more sour, sorrow, no more death, no more sin, no more evil, no more darkness, no more tears. Like all this stuff goes away under his kingdom, under his rule. He's not going to have to run for office, get voted in every time. Why is that? Because he has the right to be the king. So, so if you... If you, as an American or anybody, if you think about the type of government that is aligned most with God and Christianity, it's monarchy. And the problem on the face of this earth isn't so much that monarchy is a bad form of government. It's just that we as human beings are so flawed. Good luck 
getting a good, righteous monarch, king. And this is the same problem we have in democracy right now. Good luck getting a good, righteous, honorable leader, senator, congressperson, president, vice president, speaker of the house, mayor, governor. I mean, good luck. I think there are some out there. They're all flawed. I mean, here's the thing. Everybody's flawed, but there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of evil. There are a lot of bad actors in those seats all across government at every level. And that's democracy. And I'm not trying to attack democracy here, but if you want to bake an American Christian's brain, try to tell them that it, that monarchy is better than democracy. And the problem is we just haven't gotten the right king on the throne. They can't handle it. But the funny thing is at the same time, they know what you're saying, like lines up in scripture, but it creates a sense of dissonance. This doesn't compute because my whole kind of water that I swim in like a fish, it's all democracy. It's America. It's the constitution. It's, you know, the, you know, the Republic, hardly, hardly anybody talks about the Republic. I'd, I'd be, I'd feel better if they talked about the Republic than they did democracy, but we're, we're so far down the democracy road that, that I don't see the Republic coming back anytime soon. Uh, so, so why do I bring this up? This isn't to give American Christians a hard time, but just to make the point that we are immersed, saturated in ideas and we don't even realize it. Now, I'm not trying to argue that Christians should be anti-democracy, that we should be trying to overthrow this government and establish some kind of monarchy. But like, we can't even think about monarchy. We're so, we're so in the bag for democracy as a political system. And we just think of the afterlife getting in Christ afterwards, like we're just going to float around in heaven. There's no polity. There's no political structure. There's no, well, there has to be a hierarchy. We're not going to be on equal terms with God. I mean, there has to be some type of hierarchy. So anyway, that's just an interesting kind of example uh, of how ideas influence. And yet at the same time, those ideas are not always true. They're not always good. They're not always right. But they have a huge influence on how we think and the lens that we see our world through and with. So ideas matter. Ideas matter. And I think if you look at the world around us right now, you can see the impact of ideas. And the troubling thing about this, and the reason I brought up the example of the Christians when it comes to monarchy, is that we as people, at least in this society, do not understand the ideas that influence and drive the society and the world around us. Now, I don't claim to understand them all. But I, but I try, because it's just where my mind naturally goes. I'm, I'm naturally interested in these kinds of things. And not everybody is. And I get that. I mean, there are things like other people start talking about things and I, I zone out. I'm not that interested in certain things. If you're going to start talking about the mechanics of a certain thing. I'm like, yeah, I just, I mean, I'll smile. Even the mechanics of my own, you know, I, I work in, you know, uh, strategy and marketing and branding and so on. Even if you get into some of the mechanics of how that stuff is done, like the execution, like I'm not that interested. 
I like the strategy making. I like the problem solving. I like creating programs and campaigns. I like, you know, helping to reorganize a company or, or fix something that's broken in a business and its dynamics. But when it comes down to like the very mechanics of it all, it's like, look, I, somebody else can deal with that. I'm not interested. Like I've, I've solved the problem. Here's the solution. Somebody else has to do the actual, someone else has to implement it, do the actual work of making it happen. I, I get involved in doing that work. But even in my own area, I kind of glaze over. And so I get it when people are faced with the deeper ideas influencing the society around them and influencing them that they're part of, you know, the society. And they don't get it. They don't even think about it. They don't even see it. Or if they're they're kind of challenged to take a look, they, they're not interested. I, I do understand that. But I think there's another thing about our society that, that keeps us from it, and that is this, this concept of consumption. Now, consumption is a reality. It's not just an idea. I mean, everybody has to consume. You can't live if you're not consuming air, bringing air into your lungs. You can't live if you're not consuming water. You can't live if you're not consuming food. I mean, you can live for a while. Consumption is necessary. And there's an ele element or aspect of consumption that just adds to the pleasure of being a human being. Sometimes you're just eating because you need food, but sometimes, man, it's like, wow, that was really good. Like that was just a great meal. That was a wonderful bottle of wine. It was so great to share that with my friends. We had a great, like there's some very wonderful experiences you can have through consumption. But the idea that we're kind of influenced now with is that we are consumers, that you live to consume, that consume Consuming or consumption is an end unto itself. Like that's a reason to live is to consume. And so people are just looking for more and more. They want more novelty. They want more entertainment. They, they're just looking for things. People, you know, they're Epicureans and they're sex addicts and they're, you know, music hounds. And like people define themselves by like whatever thing they're into when it comes to consumption. And I get it. Like I get into some of that. I mean, you should see my coffee setup. I'm roasting coffee these days. You know, I've got, I dropped some cash on like high-end coffee equipment. You know, I've got like a single dose grinder and a pour over kettle. And, you know, I've got a scale to weigh the coffee and then weigh how much water with a timer, like how many grams of water ratio to how many grams of coffee. And, you know, it just goes on and on. And people get into that stuff and there's not, it's not evil necessarily, but if you think that you live to consume, which is an idea, and there are conflicting ideas in the world we live in, back to Christianity, it would argue that you live to have union with God, to know and be known, know God and be known by him, to experience him. That's our reason for living, the core reason. But in a capitalist, democ democratic uh, society, we've kind of bought into this idea that, that we live to consume. It's why people aren't having kids that much anymore. It's the, you know, the, the data is showing it's slowing down. We're not having kids. Why? Because kids actually aren't, you know, they get in the way of consumption. That's one reason. I think there are a bunch of reasons. They're expensive. You know, you kind of have to make decisions now that, that a hundred thousand bucks I could have, instead of putting a kid through college, I could have used that for a really cool car. I mean, you know, go on and on, but, um, these ideas, they, they have a huge impact. And the thing is, we don't typically understand the ideas that are influencing us. Now, I'm guilty of it, too. At times, I'm, I'm not aware. But, but where I'm going with all this is to encourage you, my fine listeners, 
to think about, well, what are the ideas behind the different things that we just take for granted? You don't have to do some great, you know, mountaintop, you know, climb the mountain to talk to the, to the, the wise man. I mean, yeah, you could try to understand the big sweeping ideas behind everything, but this whole thing about, you know, left and right, the liberals and the progressives and the Demo the Republicans and the conservatives, uh, you know, okay, that's a starting point, but there's a lot more going on beneath the surface and it's really easy to just sit and throw stones. And, and so I like to, I like to get after the liberals and the progressives, but you'll notice often when I do that, I'm not doing the, uh, did you hear what Nancy Pelosi said today? What a dummy she is. I'm trying to get at the ideas underneath uh, what inform what they're saying and why they're saying it, and what they're up to and what they're doing. I want to know what's going on under the surface because that's where the real action is. And what I was going to say about consumption, one of the problems in our society, it's like, yeah, it's hard to know all these things, especially if you don't naturally gravitate towards understanding them. But consumption gets in the way of it. Like if you're just so busy consuming, you, you don't, you're, you're distracted and then when things start to get bad around you, you kind of want to just stick your head in the sand. It's like that girl putting her head under the blanket. You just don't want to look at the problems. You don't want to understand them. You don't want to face up to them. You'd rather put the blanket over your head because bad things can get in the way. And if you, if all the, you know, if you, if you're enjoying your life, you're just trying to enjoy your life. I just want to watch my Netflix. Just want to make a good living. I want to buy a nice house. There's nothing wrong with wanting to enjoy those things. Nothing wrong with that. But you can't ignore the world around you because the world isn't designed. It's not created just for our consumption. We grow when we engage the world fully. We grow when we face up to the problems around us. We grow when we hunger and thirst for the truth and search for it. We grow when we're willing to change our lives to align with the truth when we discover it. I think that's one of the big things. It's like, I don't want to face up to these issues. I don't want to go searching for deeper truth. In fact, I'm going to just say there is no deeper truth. You, you religious people are a pain in the neck. You're idiots. There's no deeper truth. Just, just live your life and leave everybody alone. I think part of the reason people want to do that is it's like, if I can just decide that there isn't anything deeper, if I can pull that blanket over my head, then it's gone. I don't have to worry about it. It's a convenient way to make your responsibility go away. And sure, a child's job is to consume and to play so that they can grow and, and become fully mature. But you're not expected to become, uh, you're not expected to stay like childlike throughout your adulthood. You're supposed to grow up, take on responsibility, suffer a little bit, sacrifice a little bit. These are good things, actually. They're not great to experience, but they're good things. It's, it's just like what's going on right now. We're so terrified, not just of COVID, but we're kind of getting programmed to like any type of sickness must be avoided at all costs. Omicron's going around. It's sounding kind of like it's up there with a really tough cold. It's not that bad, not killing anybody. But my God, people are already clamoring for a vaccination against Omicron. And, and you know, all the big pharma companies, these massive multi-billion dollar corporations are telling us, don't worry, we got multiple jabs for you. It's almost like we're accepting without even thinking, like, I've got to be protected from all discomfort. I must be protected from anything that's an inconvenience. I think some of it is we've 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 been so propagandized that 
we hear COVID and COVID just equals death. You know, Nazi bad, COVID death. (laughs) COVID can be mutating into something much more mild. We we wouldn't know it because we're so COVID death. You just can't. It's almost like it's been chiseled into our brains. And so we hear COVID and we're like, I need a shot. But there's something about us that's just saying, like, I, I can't have any discomfort, anything difficult. And I think this kind of consumption mentality is getting in the way of us maturing and becoming deeper. A little bit of sickness actually is a good thing. You know, when a plant experiences some drought, not terrible drought, but some drought, it gets stronger. I mean, this is just nature. It pushes its roots deeper looking for water. Well, that has so many positive benefits. And the same when a kid is out in the backyard playing in the dirt, maybe gets a little dirt in his mouth, forgets to wash his hands, sweating around. Yeah, that's a filthy, grubby kid. Go give your kid a bath and teach him proper hygiene. But the upside of that is his little immune system is actually getting stronger because he's just being a kid eating some dirt once in a while. It's not going to kill him unless you live on top of a landfill and then I, you know, all bets are off. But we're so like focused on avoiding anything bad to the point where we're becoming weaker. Again, influenced by ideas. And so when it comes to ideas, don't be fearful of looking at what's really going on around you. Be hungry for the truth. Hunger after the truth. Hunger and thirst after the truth and after righteousness. Hunger and thirst for what's right and good and true. And I think a way to get at that is start to ask yourself, ask others, start to understand what are the ideas behind the things going on around me? And peel the onion, you know, start figuring out on a basic level. You can always go deeper. Ask yourself the tough questions. You'll be stronger for it. You'll be better for it. And you will find yourself escaping the trap, the dehumanization trap. You'll escape the herd and you'll become a person. Guys, I hope this is useful to you. I hope you have a great week. I love each and every one of you. Thank you for being a listener. If you want to get in touch, as always, just go to my website, mikegaston.com. Dot com. There's a contact form there. There's also a sign up for my newsletter. Make sure to sign up. Love to stay in touch with you guys. You can also find me on LinkedIn, probably the best place if you want to connect with me on the socials or you can go over to my YouTube channel and subscribe there. Just look for Mike Gaston on YouTube. That's some quality content, kiddos. Hey, thanks again for spending your time with me. Love you guys and I will catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.